This is Mercy Harper, writer for research services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm here with Steve Dale, founder and director of Collaborate Now, to talk about the future of knowledge management. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Uh, Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. So personally, I think this is a really exciting time for knowledge management. Uh, The pandemic has been really tough in so many ways, but for knowledge management, it kind of had a silver lining because people really needed to use KM tools and resources kind of like never before. And leaders also saw that it was important to take a more purposeful and proactive approach to collaboration and knowledge sharing when everyone's working remotely. So I think it's a really interesting time to think about where KM can go and and what it can do. But before we get into all of that, uh, Steve, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your KM journey? Yeah, well, I I guess I've been involved with, um, well, KM for at least the last 20 years, but I I was originally a technologist. So uh, my background is technology and um, that's where I I had a um, computer science degree. Um, I, uh, and that was about 30 years ago, uh, I then started to realise that perhaps people were a bit more interesting than machines. And um, I sort of drifted into um, knowledge management almost by accident. But it, but it stood me in good stead in the fact that I had a nice blend of understanding technology and processes and then getting better to understand people and behaviours. Um, so mo- most of my work really, um, not necessarily by choice, but how contracts used to come is because I was an independent consultant. So I've done most of my work uh, with um, government and local government. Uh, I've done a work in a number of private sectors as, as well, but I think most of the UK government departments I've been, I've contracted to at some time in my past. And I, I guess I specialised at that time in communities of practice, which I can talk about later. So that, that's a sort of potted summary of uh, my uh, my uh, my life and history. <laughs> Fantastic. And let's get right into communities of practice, such a, a core um, element of KM for so long. What do you see as their future, especially in an increasingly remote and hybrid work environment? Well, yeah, I think um, if we look about what's happened, um, it's almost been a, a sudden switch to remote working, you know, the, with the pandemic and so on, um, you know, starting last year. Um, so the pandemic and lockdowns. And I think um, it's really what's marked the border between old ways and, and what looks like being n- normal uh, post-pandemic working. And we talk about this blended workspace, uh, combining the advantages of physical and virtual work environments and allowing hybrid modes of work where individuals can perhaps dip in and out of virtual and physical spaces. And it all looks good in theory. Um, After all, we've been developing the technology to facilitate this style of working for the past 20 years with networks and communities and shared systems and platforms that connect people and coordinate their work. But I, I personally, I do have some reservations that um, people can feel isolated if their only interactions are in virtual space. Mm-hmm. And I think this was particularly true for mentoring or uh, induction of new staff. 
I mean, at the end of the day, we are uh, social animals. And no matter how good the technology is, there is no substitute for physical interactions. Mm. Where once we could share an idea by talking to the person next to us, uh, we'll have the same impact if we have to schedule a call with that person. Mm. And I wonder how this will play out in the longer term and whether our social skills will gradually change. And um, the question is, you know, for the better or the worse, I don't know. But certainly I think that communities uh, and there's uh, communities have matured over the past few years and many of them are working quite, quite effectively. Um, as I say, though, I, I do think it introduces a completely different way of working and um, I'll reserve thoughts on, on how that's going to work out. But I, I hope it will work out because business is going to rely on um, this new way of working. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of people are missing that that human interaction, that water cooler conversations, those moments. Yeah. And um, hopefully communities can perhaps play a role in, in bringing some of that back. It's interesting to think about whether we might want to change perhaps some of the way that we structure those. So many communities are quite large. Um, perhaps we need to build smaller groups within them to enable more of those direct people-to-people -people connections. I don't know if, what you think of that. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, the one thing where I've seen the difference between communities that work well and those that, that don't is where you have got some active facilitation going on as well. Um, the, uh, I, I guess the biggest project I worked on was um, in local government. And, um, and that, this is goes back to 2008. So that communities of practice was quite new then, but I was trying to get local government to embrace the a whole idea of sharing knowledge in, in on a uh, a platform that we had to develop. And um, one of the things I remember from that those conversations when we was talking about budget was um, um, in terms of the 100% of the budget, I said that 20% could go on technology, but the rest of the budget, the 80%, really need to be spent on supporting that community, either supporting the people. And that's through training and recruiting um, permanent staff to help facilitate that community. And I think that's what's missing in some of the communities I see these days, that they haven't really invested the time and the effort or the... Um, the skills necessary to keep that community active and, and working. Um, I'd like to think that um, I must have been a trailblazer back in those days, 2008, but it did work and they did recruit a, a group of people to facilitate the community. It's still working now. It's um, the Knowledge Hub or khub.net and uh, they've got about 160,000 uh, users on it and, and hundreds of different communities. And they have a, a, a specialist team who are there um, facilitating the conversations, the connections, uh, helping people uh, create their spaces and, and use them to maximum effectiveness um, as an ongoing basis. And I think that's, to me, is the difference between how a community can thrive and grow and one that will fail. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of budget, something we found in our um, and, and, and technology versus people spend, something that we found in our recent trends research is that uh, KM budgets are actually on the rise. 
pretty significantly. But uh, we didn't ask, unfortunately, where those dollars were expected to go. And we expect that a lot of folks will be uh, spending on technology. But either way, there's a lot of decisions ahead in terms of budget and priorities for KM teams. So what do you think KM programs should be prioritizing right now, especially when it comes to helping employees kind of grow the skills and competencies that they're really going to need for the future? Well, I, I clearly can't speak on behalf of um, uh, US um, organizations uh, and um, the facilities that you have there, over there, but I, speaking for mainly European and particularly UK, I, I, I'm not convinced that schools and colleges or universities are, are properly preparing um, their students for the modern workplace. Um, I, I sense a reluctance to explain the harsh realities of working in a hierarchical organisation, which still makes up the majority of structures, especially in the public sector. Um, life itself is a competition. You know, we compete for food, for water, for space, and I don't think the workplace is any different. Uh, and, I, and I think that people coming out of um, university and schools do not yet appreciate that. That they're going to be in the workplace where they're competing with their peers. Um, and if they want, to, if they're ambitious and they want to go ahead, they have to show that they are um, doing something or bringing more value in than perhaps mm -hmm. their peers. So I, I think that the few, in, if, in terms of prioritising um, projects, I think it's again prioritising projects that help their staff to develop, to improve, um, learning how to share, because I actually don't think that things like sharing is a natural um, attribute for coming into the workplace, um, working out loud and so on. People mm -hmm. find that um, quite different. So I, th I think prioritising projects around the development of staff um, for me, I think is really important. And I, and I base that as well on a bit of experience because, um, and I shouldn't be saying this because I was an independent consultant and um, I got a lot of my work from the fact that uh, they felt that I knew something that their staff didn't. So therefore I was the best person to do the, the work. But I don't necessarily think that's always true. And um, I think there's many times when I've been um, doing contract work where uh, internal staff could have equally done that piece of work but for whatever reason they weren't trusted to do it mm. um, and the problem with consultants is they'll come in and do the job learn on the job as well because believe it or not no matter what a consultant says they don't know everything um, learn on that job get the experience and then finish the contract out the door and out with it goes all of that experience and knowledge and, and learning that um, they've had through that that project so I think the uh, priority project should be all around supporting staff. And with regard to what I call the personal knowledge management, I've, been, I've, been a push, I've pushed that many times, which, which I can encapsulate as, you know, um, a, a desire to learn, a desire, a curiosity, uh, ongoing curiosity. Uh, I think that um, employers could perhaps give more time for people or scheduling in time for learning and not necessarily doing, mm. if you get that drift. Absolutely. And I think, you know, KM pl plays such an important role um, in providing that kind of training because we think of learning and development as, as, as the 
the, the area that runs training for better or worse, but knowledge management can come in with a little bit more just in time, little bits and pieces there that help people learn and grow. As far as, um, you know, developing those kind of personal knowledge management skills, I'm curious if you have any ideas on sort of tactical ways to do that. What's a good way to, if you were going to design a project to cultivate that among staff, what, what might that project look like? Well, I think... Um... We assume that people in the workplace have got uh, traditional literacies, you know, reading, writing, speaking and listening and so on, because otherwise, how would they have actually got that job? Um, but I, I think a focus on different literacies and or not as assuming that anybody has already got these literacies. Things like um, understanding information, uh, understanding data, um, a, a visual literacy about um, understanding visual messages. Um, a critical literacy about um, ability to question, challenge and evaluate um, in meetings, in, in conversations with uh, peers. Um, I think as well, the going back the, to technology, we, we have to live with technology and um, fortunately it, it does get better. It, it gets easier to use. So, but I think the the, the ability to um, use the technology to its maximum effectiveness and digital literacy, I, I think that's probably already there. And just talking about digital literacy, if I can just aside, I've, I've got a granddaughter of two years old, uh, or two and a half, sorry, um, who's already using YouTube. Believe it or not, I've seen her on the iPad. Um, she knows how to swipe left and swipe right. And uh, it won't be too long before she's able to do a search on that. So uh, if we're talking about people coming into the workplace now or going in the future, I, I think they're gonna be way, way ahead of uh, people like me in, in understanding the technology. But, but I think a program around uh, building on these various literacies. And, and if there's one thing that I think most important is this critical literacy, this, this ability to not believe everything you're told or see, to question it. Um, and I think that's in particular where we have this um, gambit of fake news and so on. But, but do not believe everything you see or hear or even read in newspapers. I think that people need to question more about um, their environment and uh, that sometimes it takes a while to get to the truth. So that's what organizations should be focusing on, I think, with all of the staff that they recruit. Absolutely. I totally agree. That is something that uh, scares the bejesus out of me, to be totally <laughs> honest. I think that is something we need to teach. I think it's a difficult thing to cultivate, um, but absolutely crucial and something to think about for uh, the future, which is the next thing that I'd like to get into. Okay. What do you think KM could and perhaps should look like in the next, say, five to 10 years? Right. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, I, I could go on about this particular topic for a long time, but I won't. Um, I think, and this is potentially controversial, um, that I think there's a generation of baby boomers out there pushing the same old perspectives on KM and haven't really grasped the massive changes that have happened over the past 10 or 15 years. I mean, in the next 10 years, a lot of them will be retired and perhaps that's a good thing. 
Um, I, I can say that from the point of view that I already have um, semi-retired, so and, and I'm a baby boomer. But I think that things have to change, um, and, and I, I've, I have possibly got a slightly jaundiced view of the way that KM is is happening now. Um, the the leg I'll call it the legacy knowledge management. Um, we we talk of the necessary blend of people process and technology that forms the core of any strategy to improve knowledge sharing but the focus in always seems to be on the process and technology and, and the people bits and get left behind or don't seem to have as high a priority as they should do and I mentioned when I did the uh, the budget for that community of practice organisation back in 2008, where I did say 80% of their budget needed to be spent on the people, which didn't go down too well at the time, but at least they did it. Um, I think, so the, the, the people part of it, I think, is something that knowledge management needs to really focus on. But I think my other gripe, uh, and this is based on the... Um, times that I've been in seminars, uh, training workshops or whatever, where we have this interminable and frustrating debate about uh, definitions, definitions for knowledge um, and the differences between tacit and explicit knowledge, um, definitions for um, knowledge management itself, uh, trying to understand about the difference between knowledge management and information management, and um, they seem to consume um, a huge amount of time. And, and I just wonder if we did have an agreed definition, does that make any difference to the way we work? I, I don't know. And I'm not convinced it does. Mm. So, I mean, a few years ago, I, I put my, myself, I went on a, a knowledge management certification course. So I'm a, I am, I've even got the paperwork, but I am a certified knowledge manager. But a lot of that course was once again, um, focused on um, uh, definitions without any sort of practical aspect. And I think that um, what was missing for me on those, um, those sort of courses or, or meetings we have is the behaviour, people behaviours, what influences people's behaviours, in particularly how we encourage creativity and innovation, the creation of new knowledge. Mm. So... I mentioned I, my background is technology, so and I had a degree in computer science. But as I got more and more into KM and um, realizing that what was really needed was the soft skills to needed to influence behaviors. So fortunately, at that time, there was a, um, a course I picked up on um, Coursera, one of these massive open online courses um, run by uh, Professor Scott. Klaus at Wesleyan University and it was a course on social psychology so I got myself on there it was quite it was about 12 weeks actually but I learned off an awful lot about people and behaviors uh, and for me that was the missing dimension okay mm -hmm. I, I had the technology and the process bit all pretty secure I, I knew more or less what I was doing there but to understand uh, behaviors was the missing element in um, how I worked. So I think that the future of um, KM um, really needs to start 
focusing a lot, lot more on uh, behaviours. Um, yes, there is an importance to actually know, know about knowledge sharing and uh, and the importance of well, some of the importance of uh, tacit and explicit knowledge. I, I, actually, I put a post out yesterday, which was really just to uh, provoke people, and it has provoked some people by saying that tacit knowledge in this environment today is a lot more important than ex explicit knowledge, i.e. the way that we write things down and secure these things as records. Because the things move so fast these days that writing things down as a record, as a record of learning or whatever, you usually find it or in some industries, it's out of date within days or, or certainly within weeks. Whereas tacit knowledge, we need to emphasise much more about how we share knowledge in a tacit by talking to mm. people. And um, you can say a lot more than what you can write about or anything else. Now, sorry, am I going on too? Going oh, to no, no, no. I'm, I'm loving it. Um, I think that uh, I, uh, by coincidence, I was on a, um, a call with uh, somebody called Stephanie Barnes yesterday. Um, I... I uh, recommend listeners perhaps look her up. She's she's written a paper on radical KM, um, and as we talked about this, I thought, gosh, this is exactly what I believe. You know, at least somebody is thinking the same way as me. Yeah. Uh, and if I could, I just I just quote from um, she's written a paper on radical KM. Um, if I, I can quote her, she says um, one of the things that differentiates humans from uh, artificial intelligence is our creativity. And yet this is something that has been educated out of us in our focus to be efficient and effective. Mm. It is knowledge management's job to bring it back, to facilitate it within our organisations. And this is the knowledge that people need in order to do their jobs in the 21st century. In the age of artificial intelligence, people would do things that AI is not good at, i.e. creativity. Mm. And I think that's absolutely spot on. And I think that... Uh, the future of KM needs to focus very much more on how to get people to be creative, um, rapid prototyping and so on. I, I was reading um, uh, James Dyson's, um, or a bit of James Dyson's book. Uh, I don't readers, uh, listeners know James Dyson, you know, the inventor of the bagless vacuum cleaner. Um, and uh, he's gone on to make billions, but um, he didn't just come up with an idea um, and would had instant success. I read that he created about five over, over five thousand prototypes before he got to the final um, his final product. Now, if anybody imagines that you're going to do five thousand after after action reviews or retrospects, forget about it. He was doing ra rapid prototyping and using this thing called um, design thinking, which is a non nonlinear process where you, you you rapidly prototype and it doesn't matter if the prototype fails because you'll learn something from it so you actually sort of pick up on what failed there and try again but I think that type of working in the KM environment is completely unknown or not not used um, everywhere so that I think the future of KM is once again just to, to focus on more on people and behaviours, helping people to be creative to creative and innovative, and less about sticking on de de definitions uh, about 
what an after action review is or retrospect or whatever. Um, and, and because a lot of those things are in any case more to do with project management than knowledge management. So separate the, the project management mm. stuff off the knowledge management. You're trying to bring some value in knowledge management by doing things that perhaps the project management um, are not able to do as well. Getting people to innovate and to be creative. So please, future of KM or this radical KM uh, approach, let, let's, let's make a change away from um tired old definitions and people getting uh, the, the right uh, words for what knowledge manage management is and focusing a far more time and attention on the people and their skills and getting them to work differently absolutely agree and I hope you won't mind a, a little extra question that I, I didn't include in the list that I sent over but it, your 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 words got me thinking about how radical we might be do you think we ought to change the name of the discipline? Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because I, I don't know if this came up in a, a pre-conversation we had, but I was almost thinking um, the only way of actually sort of getting away from the traditional KM, because we, while we keep calling it KM, people are going to, I think, just keep uh, doing the same things. If you called it something different, it might actually encourage uh, a change in the way that we do things. But um I, I can i can imagine at the moment if, if you've got knowledge management uh people listening to this uh podcast you we're going to upset a lot of people about this so i didn't go as far as saying change the name but to be honest i'm with you i, I think if if i felt that changing the name would encourage the change to take place i think yeah let's change the name i've got a new name for it at the moment but <laughs> the very fact that you've changed the name might actually sort of get more people uh, interest in a different way of doing things. Absolutely. I think it's a really interesting idea to explore. And I also don't have a, a new name in mind. But, uh, you know, there's there's uh, advantages and disadvantages to doing it. You lose all of the legacy and you lose all of the legacy. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, losing all the legacy for me is a good way of actually uh, going forward. And I, and I think I did say that um, earlier on in our conversations. And I was like, oh, because I always feel that I'm being too provocative on, on these things. And I'm sure that uh, I'm, I'm going to have upset a few people who are listening to this. But the one good thing about it, as I get older, I get my, thin gets, my skin gets a bit thicker, so it doesn't really upset me anymore. I, I just like to see that if we are going to go forward with a, a different approach, whatever we call it, that we are, out, we are going to focus more on the, the people and perhaps a little bit less on the definitions and the processes. And, and as I say, separate what to me is a bog standard project management stuff from the, the creativity elements that people have got inside them, but perhaps it's being suppressed mm -hmm. by having to stick with a particular process. Absolutely. So speaking of uh, going forward and, and the human element, uh, for my last question, I wanted to ask you where you think organizations should be looking for the next generation of KM talent. Over the years, so many people have found their way into it from all sorts of different backgrounds. And there's a handful of master's degrees, a, a, a literal handful of KM master's degrees out there. Um, where do you think organizations should be looking? Ooh, that is a good question and um that, that one's out of the blue to me yes i um i think some of the i haven't looked at how universities more more recent universities are um 
training people, if that's right, we're educating people into um, the, the KM approach. I think that what, if I go back to James Dyson, um, when he's, he's a very successful entrepreneur and what he did was um, look for people that were different. I, um, not, they didn't necessarily have um, like formal education, but, but they were, he was always looking for that innovative spark in people. Um, and I think there's a lot of youngsters these days coming through who are, are, are quite um, uh, innovative uh, before they get into work, into the workplace. They are, they're full of ideas, but don't necessarily have the, the tools to put their ideas into practice. I think that if you looked outside, not just um, degrees um, or going to universities, but trying to pick up a wider cohort, uh, people looked, I would think, perhaps starting at what we would call secondary schools. I'm not quite sure what mm -hmm. the equivalent is in the US. Um, so post-primary schools, secondary schools before they go to university. I think that could be the feeding ground for mm. people that want to sort of emerge as um, creative thinkers in uh, an organisation. Uh, but there's one caveat on that. If you populate your entire organisation with creative thinkers, you won't get anything done at all. Um, you'll be running all over the place. There'll be rabbits going all everywhere. So I'm not saying don't have the proper processes in place to sort of make sure that you're um, delivering the right products, you're, you're um, achieving um, satisfaction with customers. But I think to have um, people within that organisations that don't mind doing something um, strange um, and with ideas that can be encouraged and just see where they go. If they fail, okay, as long as you've learned something from it. Um, but uh, those creative types, which can mm. be disruptive, I think you need uh, a core of those people in any organisation. So as I say, I think start from before they get to university, because I think after they're at university, they've already been uh, indoctrinated into certain ways. But um, mm. when they're at school, they've got some wonderful ideas. And um, I think need to tap into those as they are foundling uh, radical km leaders of the future absolutely i think that's such an interesting idea i think it, it takes it a, quite a few steps further than i think most folks are already at where they're trying to educate uh you know 20 somethings and 30 year olds about the fact that km exists reaching even earlier is really interesting just to pop that idea in folks heads like this is a way you can be creative this is you know something you could do i think that um on that it, not not that i'm on tiktok um i'm afraid that that's one social media platform too far for me um but i do read about these youngsters on there you know um 14 15 year olds doing quite innovative things and building up a huge following for some idea that they've had so you know as i say i think youngsters before they're conditioned into the rigors and constraints of working in an organization that and i think we organizations tend to suppress a lot of that creativity so mm -hmm. I, all i'm saying is that we need to find a way of bringing these people into the, the future of work without suppressing their desire, their energy, and um, to, to feed off the creativity that they can bring. Absolutely. We'll see, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will see. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod, Steve. Um, 
I, well, thank you for having me. And, and uh, yeah, well, it's made me think as well, because uh, as I say, a lot of this was off the top of my head and uh, I think you had some good questions there. Uh, I, I apologise if I have upset anybody out there. But I mean, the good thing about these conversations is you don't have to agree with any of it. But I think if it actually stimulates some debate, then that's that's a worthwhile uh, objective. Totally agree. And uh, if folks want to learn more about your sometimes controversial ideas, uh, they can visit stephendale.com and uh, collaboratenow.com. And that's uh, collaborate with the number eight. Anything else you'd want to point folks to, uh, Steve? No, I, I think that's it, probably. I, I'm on uh, Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at stephendale, which is spelt with a ph um stephen with a ph stephen dale um if anybody wants to pick up anything on twitter awesome well once again i'm mercy harper thank you for listening to this apqc podcast please visit apqc.org to learn more and have a great rest of your day <laughs>